Man, what a blessing this morning to gather with you and to sing of Christ and the love of our Father and His Son for us. Man, what a blessing. If you have your Bibles, if you will, take them this morning and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, as we are continuing through our study of this book called Dear Church. Dear Church is the title of this sermon series, and so it is helping us to be a better church, a healthy church, a united uh, church, and so very thankful uh, for God's Word. Chapter 8, one of the core values of our faith family, one of the things that we believe that to be very vital for our church is that we believe in church investment. And part of that is, is commitment to God. Every member is committed to God, but every member is also committed to one another. So we are, so we are investing in to each other. And so we have agreed to, to love for, and to love and to care for, and to work with one another within this local body here at First Baptist Church of Jonesboro. We have pledged ourselves to each other. So when, when you join the church and you, you, you come and the church votes on you, or when you're baptized into the body, whether, whatever way you come in as the church accepts you, you are pledging yourself to the local body. But there are going to be moments in our walking and doing life with one another in which uh, our commitment and our unity to one another will be tested. Moments where you and I will have strong differences of agreement on things, strong differences of opinions. And so what will happen is, is that there will be a temptation for you and I to be divided. There will be a temptation for you and I to, to, to break that pledge, to, to, to not invest in one another. We may love one another from a distance kind of thing, but not being invested in one another. And so today in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is once again going to confront the disunity of the church. This time, the source of disunity is not who is your favorite preacher, as we saw, who is your favorite pastor, as we saw in the previous verses, in the previous chapters of this book. Instead, the source of unity is going to be whether or not one should eat meat that is sacrificed to idols. Now, at first glance, we look at this and we go, well, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with the local church? There's no pagan temple offering meat that is being sacrificed and then some of it being sold in the marketplace. This has nothing to do with us. But a closer look will reveal this morning a very relevant and present day truth. One that I believe that will encourage commitment to one another and hold together the unity of our church in times of disagreements. So I've entitled these next couple of sermons, and you're going to see this over the next three chapters, actually. But, but for chapter 8, over the next two sermons, I've entitled this, How to Navigate the Gray Areas. And so I want you to see four things this morning. I want you to see the question that will be raised, the problem that is occurring, the warning that is given, and the encouragement that is prayed for here. And so I want you to begin with me this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Notice what Paul writes. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we have 
we, we know that we have, or we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. And may the Lord bless the reading of the word. Probably one of the best things that moms are very good at is, is that they are able to handle questions. And so like my wife, who receives probably a thousand questions a day, I don't know why they go to her and not me. I haven't figured that one out yet. Uh, but, but mom, what about this? Mom, what about that? Mom, what about this? The Apostle Paul is handling questions from the Corinthians. And so chapter 7, where you saw that there is this transition taking place, where he's now dealing with questions that have been asked to him. We saw the first question in chapter 7 dealing with marriage and singleness. Now we see another question that comes to the Apostle Paul about uh, eating meat that is sacrificed to idols. Now, scholars have suggested that if you were going to color certain chapters of the Bible, that this one would be gray. This one would be gray. What do I mean by that? Well, a gray area is what I would call a disputable or questionable issue. Because there are subjects where nothing is stated directly within Scripture. Where you're not, where you're not told exactly what you must believe and exactly how you must act according to this topic or according to this issue. And so therefore you are left with an ill-defined situation. And so in other words, it's neither black nor white. It is gray. And so the Christian is left to his own conscience, as we see in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, where Paul writes, in this chapter, dealing with the same issue, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. And so he's dealing with these gray areas and the freedom that we as Christians have, that, that because of Christ... We have freedom. We have liberties. We're not, we're not bound by in bondage in some of these areas. But we have different opinions on these areas. And so how do we navigate these? And so in the pagan temples there in Corinth, a third of an animal would have been sacrificed and cooked uh, you know, by the priest to eat. Another third would have been used to be given to the pagan god. And then another third would have been used to be sold by the priest in the marketplace to make money for their religion. Or they would have sold it to a local restaurant or, you know, for profit or something. So the meat was cheaper and it was safe to eat. And so it was a very good bargain. And being that there were many pagan temples there in Corinth, there was a lot of good bargains. And so the Christians had a question. Should we partake of the meat that is being offered to these idols? You had some who said yes. And you had some who said no. And there arose a great debate. We know this within the Baptist church as well. We've had many debates over many different things. The big idea of this chapter, though, is not is the meat okay to eat. The big idea of the chapter is not meat sacrificed to idols. That, that if we're not careful, we will miss what Paul is writing here. There is a broader application of what should be our guidelines and our actions regarding those gray areas. And again, this is where I think moms do really well, right? Because a child comes and asks a question, and how does mom normally respond with the question? Another question. Because she knows that there is something there. There's a bigger application, there's a bigger truth at play, rather than can you just go outside and play? Have you done your homework? Have you done this? There, there's something else at play here. There's something bigger and grander at, at play. 
And so Paul wants to get to that. And so as we will see, these gray areas are not sinful in themselves. Matter of fact, they're not really commanded against or even far within the Scriptures. Again, leaving the Christian to choose. But there is a ditch on both sides of the road. On the one hand, there is the one who embraces Christian liberty and freedom. I can, I can do. I'm free to do what I want to do. And you tend to abuse your freedom, causing other weaker Christians to sin. But on the other side of this, there's another ditch. There is legalism, where you prohibit something that God has not prohibited, and you deem others spiritually weaker or heap judgment upon them, something that God himself has not done. And so in the New Testament, there are only three gray areas. Observing of the Jewish religious holidays, the drinking of wine, and the eating meat sacrificed to idols. But, over 2,000 years of church history, we have picked up hundreds of disputable areas, disputable issues, since that time. And they have all been debated over the last 40 years, especially in Southern Baptist life. Is dancing okay? Is getting a tattoo sinful? Is, is watching certain movies or going to the theaters or going to concerts sinful or okay? How, how about this one? How, is it okay to drink a little bit of alcohol? Uh, can I play cards? I can play Uno, but can I play Texas Hold'em? Is this music or that music or, or, or... Which Bible translation is the most holiest and devout? The King James Version? Or the New American Standard Version? Hold on, Miss Kim. Hold on. Just hold on. Let me finish. How long is the sermon supposed to go? How many songs are we supposed to play? What type of music is supposed to be in the Word? Can I play golf on Sunday or fish or hunt on Sunday? Or how about recently? Should we be vaccinated or not vaccinated? Should I vote for that guy or this guy? Do I interpret the amendment to my rights this way or that way? Well, protesting and right... And then all of a sudden you have all of these issues. And we find ourselves with these disagreements. So, so let me make a point of application as we're moving through this. Context matters. So let me say it again. Context matters. What we are talking about in this chapter is navigating the gray areas, the disputable areas, the questionable areas, not the black and white areas. There are clear commandments in the Bible that you don't get to have a choice on and you don't get to follow your conscience on. There are things that God says, this is what you do and this is what you believe and you and I are to embrace those things. Chapter 8 is not one of those things. Yet I feel too often we reverse the principle that many of us will be far more dogmatic on whether dancing or getting a tattoo is sinful or not sinful, but we're totally okay with freedom and choice when it comes to things that God has said do not do or things that you are told to believe in. 
We are dogmatic and, and unmoving and judgmental on what right Bible translation you bring into the church. And that if you don't bring in this translation, you're not as spiritual as those who have that translation. But yet, we're totally fine with you having prejudices toward other people. We're totally fine with gossiping. We're, we're totally fine with how you treat one another. As long as you treat them because it's justifiable in your mind. We're, we're unmoving and judgmental on whether dancing or getting a tattoo or, or drinking is right or wrong. You know, having some, you know, sips or whatever. But, but you know, we're, we're very dogmatic. You don't do that. But you know what? My spouse ain't making me happy. I'm going to go find another one. You know what? My, 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 my anger or my lie, that lie that I told, it was justifiable. This is the way church is supposed to be. I, I think these songs are, or, 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 or that program or this must be done this way. But you make excuses on the Great Commission and evangelizing people. Something that God has told you that you must do. That which God has commanded and God has revealed as truth, we stand firm. We teach with absolute authority and we do not cower. If the Bible is clear that this doctrine or this practice is, is what we are to be involved in and embrace, beloved, you and I do, do not get to make excuses for those things. Those are not gray areas. Those are God's commands. Those are the will. That is the will of God that is given to you and I. We are not to cower down. We are not to justify our behaviors in those ways. So I want to make that point very clear. Chapter 8 is not that. Chapter 8 instead, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, are going to deal more with questions of how do I deal with the gray areas? How do I navigate the gray areas? How, how do I love one another when we're, when we're so different on this in politics and on this in the culture and on this issue and that issue? Chapter 8 is dealing with those things. And so that is the problem that I want you to see. Like most, of all, like most, if not all gray areas, there's going to arise a disagreement that will lead to division, that's going to lead to something within the church. And the Corinthian church was no different here. Some Christians would buy the meat, they would eat the meat, they would even probably cook the meat and bring it for potluck. To, give you, to let you understand how bad that is, that is you bringing wine and alcohol to dinner on the grounds on Sunday morning. That is a no. But that's what they did. And there arose a dispute within the, within the people. The, 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 they, they, were, they couldn't understand. Why would you bring that? Why would you eat that? Why would you do that? Why do you even do that at home? And they're going, well, why don't you? We don't understand. And they said, well, I believe this. Well, we believe that. Well, we have these facts. Well, we have these facts. This wasn't a disagreement, though, for disagreement's sake. So we have to understand that. You've got to put that in with the context. There were church members within this church who came out of pagan culture. And this posed a problem. It's not that they just offended by it. It's not that they just disliked it. This, was, this brought temptation into their life that made them think about the old life and the old ways and the life they used to be a part of. And so they were tempted to go back into that. It hindered them in some way. And so there resulted in this division within the church. And notice the phrase that Paul uses. He says, we know that we all have knowledge. Please understand this morning that this was not the Apostle Paul's response. 
Some of your translations this morning will probably have quotations here. That would be the more accurate phrase. This was probably the response given to Paul in the previous letter that when they wrote to him and they said, can we do this? Because we know that we have knowledge. And so Paul is repeating their defense that they had made to him saying, brother Paul, we, we, we know that we know that we have knowledge on these things. So it is okay for me to eat this meat. Well, what knowledge were they claiming? Just look at verse, chapter, verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom are, uh, are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. The knowledge that the meat was harmless to eat, they had. The, 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 the stronger Christians, as we'll see in a minute in Romans 14, they knew that it was okay. They, they were able to eat this meat and it was fine. It was not sinful in and themselves. And, and so they say, Brother Paul, we got this knowledge. So, so we're right, right? We're, we're, we're right. Now we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks. But for now, notice the problem. A disagreement over an issue led to two sides saying, we know that we have knowledge, we're right, we're right, leading to a battle of who's more spiritual. Is the one who eats the meat more spiritual or the one who doesn't eat the meat more spiritual? Look, look at verse 1 again. Now concerning the things sacrificed to idols, we know that we have knowledge. Notice this, knowledge makes arrogant. That's Paul's response. They were becoming arrogant. They were becoming, they were becoming, we're better than the other side. We're better than them. So here's what was happening. We have knowledge that the other side does not. We know what the Bible says. So we, so we're right, they're wrong. The other side was saying, we know what's in those pagan cults. We were there. We know what they do, and you brought that into the church. You're bringing that into your home. We know what's going on over there. So we have knowledge. We're right. So we're more spiritual, or we're more spiritual, we're, we're moral, or we're moral. And I believe this morning that each one of us in here would say that we have fallen on one side or the other at some point in our Christian life in a gray area. And what happens is, is, is you, when you look over to Romans chapter 14, verse 1, he says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on opinions. One person has faith that we may eat all things, but one who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to be regarded with contempt. So, so here's what happens. Paul's dealing with, with a whole other church. You have one who's judging the other, and one who's showing hatred and, and, and bigotry over the other, contempt toward the other. Judging and having contempt for one another on morally neutral issues, which sadly led to confused emotions. Wasted time in discussion rather than ministry. Hurt feelings. A ruined gospel witness. Broken relationships with people who were brothers from another mother. And this issue rose up and they walked away. Church splits and even some walking away from the faith. And if we ever thought that dancing and tattoos and alcohol were the great topics of division within the local church, brothers and sisters, 2020 showed us differently. This past year's issues such as politics, race, law and order 
my rights as a citizen and a human being. Healthcare. And so much more have brought disagreements and divisions within the, within the body, and I mean the big C, the church, all over the world. So the question then rises up, what hope do we here at First Baptist Church have if these issues can cause such heated disagreements out there? What hope do you and I have of being united when we may disagree? Can we be united if we vote differently than the other individual? Can we be united if we have different opinions on our rights, on law and order and amendments and the Constitution? Can we be okay if we have different opinions on, on, on health care? Can we be okay, Paul, if they eat the meat and we don't? And Paul writes in these verses, these first three verses, to give you a summary. We'll get specifics later, but he gives you a summary of how the local church navigates the the, the gray areas and holds together the unity and the love that comes from Christ. And so I want you to see this. Notice the warning that Paul gives. How does this happen here? How, how do we navigate this? So, so notice with me, the first thing that we see is the warning against pride. Notice what he says again, verse, verse 1. He says, we know that we all have knowledge. So that's, their, that's, their, that's what they're saying to him. Then he says, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he, has, that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. So, so notice there, there first, we get the warning. Knowledge can lead to pride. Now, let me, let me just stop for a moment and say this to you, brothers and sisters. We don't get to look at this and, and misread this and think that Paul says, okay, uh, well, Paul's telling us not to have knowledge at all. No, Paul's not telling you to be, to be ignorant of the Scriptures. Paul's not telling you to be ignorant uh, of these types of things. What he's saying is, is that if you're not careful, the knowledge that you're supposed to have, that you're supposed to find, that you're supposed to get, can lean to pride and arrogance and cause you to hurt your brothers and sisters. So, so, so here we need to understand that God has called every one of us in here this morning to be knowledgeable of the Scriptures. You have been called to seek out Christ, to know Him, to know about Him. You have been called to know this Bible, to read this Bible, to study this Bible, and gain information information is Bible so that you're educated enough that you know how to navigate these things but there is a warning that comes with the gaining of spiritual knowledge like we're like we're supposed to right? we're supposed to gain is not but what happens is we become prideful like we're not supposed to so a person here's what happened a person gains a knowledge and you know something they they God through the work of the spirit and through their work of studying they rise up a little bit in their knowledge of a of a doctrine or a Christian practice or something, right? They, they discover something that they did not know before. Or they discover that something that they thought was wrong, that they thought was right is actually wrong, right? And so, so what happens is when that, when that takes place, that person then becomes puffed up. They swell up with pride. They're like, they're, they're, they're like a little rooster walking around. Like, I, I know. But, but, but everybody else don't know. 
He becomes enlightened to a new doctrine, a new truth, or they embrace a spiritual practice that no one else embraces. They become prideful, and they begin to think that they know something that others do not know, which may even be the case, but they begin to treat others in ways they should never do. And so Paul says you must be careful that your knowledge is not leading you into sin or tearing down the unity of the church. How does one examine this? How does one examine to know... To find out if their knowledge has made them prideful. Well, look at the rest of the verse. Notice what he says. Knowledge makes what? Arrogant. But love edifies. There's a contrast between knowledge and love. Knowledge without love and knowledge with love. Arrogance puffs up. It builds up. It swells up. It's like a balloon, right? It does. So, so, so yesterday, you know, we had family over and, and one of the kids had gotten a balloon for Melanie for, for Mother's Day. And, and so I heard something and it was my, my brother-in-law. He was diving out of the van. I didn't know what he was doing. I thought he was going to fall in the dirt, but I mean, it was just a big racket. What had happened was the balloon came out of the van and what did it do? Where did it go? It was, it was gone. But, but my brother-in-law, the hero of the day, jumps out of the van and grabs it. And he almost broke an ankle, but he grabs it and he pulls the balloon down. That's what happens with you and I sometimes with our knowledge. We begin to float off way up there in space while everyone else is down here. It puffs us up, right? Now, notice the word edif- edification here. Love edifies. Edify means to build someone else up, not yourself. So put these things together. And what happens is, is a person who uses their knowledge to build themselves up and tear others down, that's become prideful. Beloved, if you seek to make yourself greater spiritually and morally superior because you fall on one side of an issue than the other person, you have puffed yourself up. And then you are now beginning to tear down your brothers and sisters. If you tear down your fellow church member or the church because you know better than they know, you have sinned. And your knowledge is only building yourself up. And we know what the Bible says about that, right? The Bible says to die to yourself daily because God does what? To the proud. God opposes the proud. So God opposes those who's in the church who build themselves up as being the all-knowers. Those who, those who go, I, I know what we've got to do over there. I'm always right. I, I have knowledge on, on all that over there. I'm, I'm always right. God opposes those who know it all, who build themselves up and tear down the brothers and sisters in Christ. But notice verse 2. Notice what he says. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he has not yet known as he ought to know. So, so now he reveals what the problem is. You don't know what you don't know. You, you don't know what you think you know. You are spiritually blind. The, the knowledge that you think that you have is actually imaginary knowledge. It's, you, you suppose that you have this knowledge, but, but you really don't. It's Isaiah 47.10. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you. Or another Another uh, translation, your your wisdom and your knowledge, they have perverted you. For you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Brothers and sisters, there is only one individual who gets to say, I am. And that is God. 
This is anti-church investment. Church investment builds others up. Church investment loves one another and brings people along, even if they disagree on things. Church, church investment is investing in other people, the people that are different from you and, and disagree with you, people who, who, who practice things, uh, people who may not look like you in the mirror. The church investment is you pouring into them. Church investment is where you use your knowledge to help encourage and build up other people. But when you only build yourself up, beloved, you are investing in you and you alone. Your way, your ideas, your knowledge, your practices, your opinions, your thoughts, your politics, your view on movies, your view on food, everything is just you. And you edify yourself. And Romans 15.1 says this, 15.1, 2, and 3 says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength, and not just please ourselves, but each of us is to please his neighbor for his, for his good to his edification, for even Christ did not please himself. Beloved, be careful. Be careful of your pride because you may not know what you think you know. This is something that, that, that I think mothers teach children really well. That when that kid comes and he just says, I know. And mama says, yeah, I'm about to show you that you don't know. Be careful, beloved. You may not know what you don't know. You may not know what is in that other person's heart. They disagree with you. And again, this is, not a, this is not a black and white area. This is not a place that God has specifically said, believe or do. But you don't, so in this morally neutral area, you don't know what's in another person's heart. No matter what side you fall on. No matter what side you fall on. You don't know what's in that person's heart. You may not know all the circumstances in that person's life. You may not know what happened in their past. You may not know what's happening in their present. Oh, and by the way, you may not know what's happening within our church right now. There are things that we think that we know that are going on in the church, and there are things that we think we know, but we don't really know. Some people have a knowledge of it, but not everyone. Be careful. Be careful that you, be careful that you don't judge too quickly. And by the way, you may not, going back to what I said earlier, that you may not know what was in that person's heart, bear with that individual. Bear with them. Even, even if, they're, even if they're, they, they, they are weak and they don't understand, bear with them. And as you'll see next week, you begin to bring them along to help them understand, help them grow in their faith. That verse that you just quoted to somebody to justify yourself, that verse may not mean what you think it means. And so therefore, you need to be teachable. You need to be teachable. This is what I love watching with my own wife and my children. How do we navigate love and care for one another when there are disagreements and and we don't always know? But bear with one another. Don't judge quickly and be teachable yourself. FPC, I would ask you this morning that you would examine your heart this morning. That you would ask yourself this morning, who am I building up? And who am I tearing down? 
Because if you're building up yourself and you're tearing down others, you have a problem. But if you're building up others and you're tearing down yourself, you're humbling yourself. Then, beloved, rejoice. God is doing something in you. Rejoice. So Paul gives the warning. We must be careful of pride. But there is a greater thing here, and I want you to see this. I I love what you're about to see. Paul gives an encouragement of love. Notice what he says here. So so knowledge makes arrogant, verse 1 there, in verse 1, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows something that he has not yet known as he ought to know, look at verse 3. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now, that baffled me this week. I'm just going to be honest with you. I sat there at the desk and reading, and I'm like, this makes no sense, Lord. Because this is, this is the way this is supposed to work, God, right? It's what was me talking to the Lord. Isn't it supposed to work this way? That if we are supposed to bear with one another and have unity in the church, then I need to know, I need to, I need to love my neighbor, right? I need to love my neighbor as myself. That is the second commandment. If we're going to have unity in the church, we're going to love one another despite our, our disagreements. And, the, and so that's what, I, that's what I keep hearing. That's what I was even thinking myself this, morning, this week was that if we're going to make it, if we're going to navigate the gray areas of disagreement over all these issues that we've had in the past and all the issues that we're going to have before Jesus Christ himself comes back, beloved, we just got to love one another because that is the second commandment. But God says the solution is not the second commandment. The solution is the first commandment that you love God. How does that make sense? Notice, notice this. I'm going to break this down for you. Please don't miss this. The word loves, but if anyone loves is in present tense, indicating our love for God is continual. My love for God is progressive. I am loving God now, and I'm going to continue to love God. That is my ultimate goal. That is my ultimate desire. I love God. But notice, but notice when he says he is known by God, known is in perfect tense meaning that it's in the past it's in the past it means that you have experienced the love of God in the past God has set his love and his affection on you in the past and because God has set his love and his affection on you in the past you are now presently loving God in the future or in the present and in in every day every day after So, so meaning that God knew you first God loved you first. God accepted you first. 1 John 4.10 In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice, the atonement for my sins. We love God because God has because we have experienced God's love first. So God accepted me first. Do you see what's happening here? God accepted me first. Even if I am okay with dancing, even if I am okay with eating the meat or not eating the meat, or better yet, God accepted you in the not great areas. God accepted you and saved you and redeemed you and reconciled himself to you when you broke the black and whites. When you broke the commandments that said, thou shall not do. Or when you said, I do not believe that. And God said, you better believe it because it is the gospel truth. 
God accepted you and brought you into a relationship. Though you were in disagreement and you were in hostility toward Him. Romans 5.8 But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for me. Me, who was in a complete and utter disagreement with God. Who was at utter odds with God. So despite my disobedience into the black and white areas, and even maybe even the gray areas, but, but these clear commands of scriptures, I was disobedient. He sent His Son to die for me. He sent His Son who lived perfectly, who did what I could not do, to go to the cross, to die, to rise three days later, that I may be accepted by God long before I ever loved God myself. Do you see what's happening? Christ demonstrated the accepting love of God by sacrificing Himself, by humbling Himself, by laying His rights, by laying His privileges, by laying everything that He is away. He left it all, humiliated Himself, and laid His life down for you who were against Him. And if you... Hear me this morning, beloved, if you are not part of the family of God. He did that for you. And this morning, His love, He loves you. He has poured His love out for you. And you can be accepted. You can can repent of your sins this morning and know God. And guess what? Better yet, you can be known by God. Come this morning and repent of your sins. I call to those this morning who are not brothers and sisters, who are not saved, repent of your sins and know the gospel, the power of the gospel, the one who laid his life down for you. And then see the beauty of what this is. I am not united to you because I just love you and pull myself up by my bootstraps and love you. And you are not united to me because you just love me and you overlook my faults and my disagreements. No, We are united together because we have been united to God. The answer is not love each other first. That's law. And law never brings unity. The answer is be loved by God first. Love God first. So that you can love what God loves, which is His people. And so let me show you how this works. We love God Because He loved us. God accepted us no matter the side that we fall on. Again, Romans Romans 14, notice what He says. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to, to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. So there's that judgment stuff, but notice this. The one who does not eat is not to judge, and the one who eats for God, notice this, the one who eats, for God has accepted him. God accepted you and God accepted me based not on my righteousness or where I fall at on these issues. He accepted me based on the righteousness of Christ. God accepted the one who eats the meat and the one who doesn't. God accepts the one who who dances and the one who doesn't. God accepts the one who gets the tattoo or the one who doesn't. God accepts the one who drinks a little, out, a little wine at home or whatever and the one who doesn't. God accepts the one who voted this way and the one who voted that way. 
God accepts the one who believes this about this policy or this thing and the one who believes this about the policy. God accepted the one who believed this about the virus and who believed this about the virus. God accepted the one who got the vaccine, who didn't get the vaccine. God accepted the one who fell on this side of the issue and that side of the issue. Who are we to reject those that God has accepted? Who are we to accept, to reject those that God's accepted because they don't have my knowledge? Who are we to judge and scorn when you receive grace? And when I receive grace, do you see how this works? This is, this is the mother thing again. One son loves sports and the other doesn't. One, one, loves, one loves to hunt and one loves to fish. One loves to do things that she really enjoys and one does things that she really doesn't enjoy. Does she kick out the one that goes against that? No. She loves them. She commits to them. She invests in them. So by the grace of the gospel that you have received and I have received and we've all received beloved, I can love you and commit to you and invest in you. You can love and commit to and invest in one another and me even if we are currently having disagreements. Because we don't know all things. But he does. He knows your heart, by the way. He knows the thoughts you had yesterday and the thoughts you're having now. He knows the thoughts you're going to have tomorrow. He knows what you're going to do tomorrow. He knew what you did 10 years ago that no one else knows about. And he knows what you're going to do in five years that no one else is going to know about. Wicked things. Evil things. But he sent his son for you. And his son died for you. And through the righteousness of Christ, he has accepted you. And by the grace of God, you and I can accept one another. Amen? By the grace of God, we can commit to one another. Amen? And by the grace of God, FBC, we can invest in one another. Therefore, we do not break fellowship because we disagree over these issues. We do not stop investing and committing to one another if someone doesn't embrace my opinions on everything. The black and white areas, that's a different story. Will you, we see that every Sunday. This is different. So as a local church, we have to learn to navigate the gray areas. And here's what will happen when you and I navigate the gray areas. By the grace of God, a world that cannot get along with itself will look at the church and ask the question, where did they learn to do that? And we will say, by the grace and the power of Almighty God. I call on you today, beloved. To repent and turn from your pride. 
If you're tearing down others, if you're tearing down your faith family, if you're building yourself up rather than dying to yourself, and if you're tearing down the gospel witness this morning, hear me, repent of your pride. And I will say this, every last one of us in here deals with this. Every, myself included. I call on you today to love God. Love God first. Remember that you have been saved despite your sins. And let that humble you. That you may seek to love Him. And by loving God, you will love the things that God loves. Which is His people. Which is the person in front of you, behind you, and right next to you. Repent and believe this morning if you have never experienced the love of God. And I would call on you today to love what God loves. Love His church. Love His children, your faith family. And forgive one another, bear with one another, and let us invest in one another for the kingdom of God. Let's pray.